join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. All right, so you've recorded for six labels. You've played on four continents. Uh, you've served 27 years in the military, and you've earned three degrees, and you've taught music for six years. Um, so we've got plenty to talk about, but what I would like to do is to go back to your childhood and kind of gain an understanding of how uh, these things that we don't know about shaped who you are today. Well, um, I grew up in Oklahoma, and my grandfather and grandmother were professional orchestral musicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandfather was a clarinetist, and uh, he was teaching at that point when I was growing up uh, in his studio in his backyard, and I would see students kind of file in and out for lessons. And uh, at some point, when I turned six years old, he said, all right, it's time for you. So I started playing clarinet, studied with him up until I went into college. Yeah. Were you close with him? Oh, yeah. Real young? Yes. You spent a lot of time there? Yeah. My, uh, my mom would bring us over every Wednesday night for my clarinet lesson and dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, were you curious about the craft before he suggested that you pick it up? Yeah, absolutely. I, would, uh, I really wanted to get in to take lessons, seeing all these kids coming in and out of his studio. And uh, so I was chomping at the bit, and he finally uh, gave me the go-ahead. It's a way to make Papa proud, too. Huh? Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> um, and uh, how did it progress did you, how long did you take lessons with him until you kind of broke out on your own? I uh, studied with him until I went to college. Oh, wow. Uh, so I don't know what the math is there, but I uh, went to the University of Oklahoma for my bachelor's degree in music education, so I started studying with a different teacher at that point. Yeah. Uh, did you feel prepared for class when you got there? Like, oh, yeah. How good of a job did he do? Uh, excellent. He was, he, was, he was the premier teacher in the Oklahoma City area. Oh, Okay. Or uh, woodwind, all woodwinds. Lucky you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've discussed this with many bands. Genres come into play when we're speaking um, uh, about people, how they, they learn to play in the first place and what they choose to play as a result of maybe their upbringing or their interests, things like that. Um, I would imagine that genre uh, is even more so important in jazz, especially when you're, you're playing the clarinet because you're probably learning jazz standards in the very beginning it's it's kind of did he in other words did he organize that for you in your mind as a child while you're learning to play like this is this is a traditional swing jazz and this is you know the big band jazz did he how did you come to find out i guess the the different areas of jazz well my grandfather was strictly a classical clarinetist okay so um i didn't really start playing jazz until I got into high school and we had a pretty oh, okay. uh, pretty uh, successful high school jazz band in my school yeah and so I was curious about it at that point a lot of my friends were in the jazz band of course clarinet's not really typically in the jazz band in, in, right. the, in the traditional uh, big band 
Um, and so I wanted to play, but I really, there wasn't an outlet. And so I formed a little uh, traditional jazz group myself and uh, started learning myself. My grandfather gave me a book on uh, Dixieland. I think it was called Dixieland Tunes or something like that. I was going to ask how he felt about it. Yeah. Um, he never played jazz and never improvised, but I think he, he, uh, he was certainly uh, supportive of me doing it. Yeah, that's good. Um, I don't know really what, what he thought about it and uh, uh, about jazz per se. Um, he, uh, I don't know that, certain, certain he heard me play jazz, but I can't think of a time where he did, but he certainly heard me play classical music yeah. when I was uh, growing up and in college. Um, looking back, do you feel like there's uh, a preferred order of things? Like when you're starting out, should they stick to classical and then transition to something more freeform like jazz, or, or does it matter, do you think? Well, um, I guess there are arguments on both sides of that question. So speaking from my perspective, being classically trained, I always strive to get a great clarinet sound when I play, and my technique is you know, fundamentally sound because I've put a lot of time in the practice room. Yeah. And then uh, you... You know, you veer off into jazz, and those elements transfer over. So, um, and but then on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, like the early jazz players had no training whatsoever. They just right. picked up these instruments and they started playing. So, right. uh, I don't know. Do they use their ears more than I do, and I use my brain more than they do? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it matters. I guess as far as curriculum, but I think uh, on the top end, when you reach a point in your life where you start to compose your own music, um, it can be heard. Your influences can be heard. You know? sure. So your background before that moment uh, kind of bleeds through. It doesn't matter what style you chose to write it in right now, but some of the other style will bleed right. through. You know? I think that's what makes people unique you know, and their compositions unique. You know? um, so you played in college and on the side. So you were with the, the, the school band and you had your own band? Uh, that was when I was in, yeah, in, uh, high school. So, oh, okay. yeah. So I had, uh, you know, I played in the band at high school and then started this traditional jazz group and then I uh, went to college and studied music education was my degree, but I studied classically, uh, in college. And then I started branching out and playing saxophone in the jazz band there. Yeah. Now, uh, didn't you, you minor in Latin, Latin studies? For my doctorate degree. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Latin American music history. Latin American music history. Okay. Um, what was the attraction there? Well, um, Catholic University, where I earned my doctorate degree, is one of about three universities in the United States that have a Latin American program mm -hmm. uh, for music. So um, it was uh, a unique element of the school there. And um, I really thought it would be interesting. You could get a minor, which I didn't even know existed for a doctorate degree. And so uh, I looked at the requirements for it, and it was uh, an interesting track. So uh, I basically catered all of my recitals towards Latin American music. This is all classical, no, no jazz until my final uh, project. Um, and uh, had a really great Latin American teacher there, so I took a lot of history courses from her and learned quite a lot about classical music in Latin America, which... Really, I really hadn't been exposed to in my bachelor's or master's degree. Right, sure. 
And so I guess it was a plus. You enjoyed it. Uh, absolutely. Did it, um, I hate to use the, the corny term, but it, did it sort of expand your horizons in the, in the field of music where you, did you find yourself um, kind of playing with a different flair or a different flavor? Well, it's interesting. The, the classical music from Latin America was really highly influenced by Europe. So, oh, okay. so the governments from those countries down there would send their top composers back to Europe, to Paris or to uh, you know, Italy or uh, England to study. And then they would come back. And a lot of those composers sound very European from that, from that era. That's interesting. So um, some of the pieces did introduce things that we would uh, describe today as perhaps clave, but back then they weren't thinking about that. They were uh, using their indigenous rhythms and uh, incorporating that into their classical music. Thinking of Guastavino, for instance. Okay. Uh, that's a composer that I played one of his pieces, and it definitely had a... At this juncture in my life, I would consider it a clave, what he was using, but completely classical. You wouldn't hear that clave uh, rhythm necessarily unless mm -hmm. you were analyzing it. <laughs> is that is, is the, the Latin American sound more prevalent when you get to jazz, even traditional jazz? This jazz in my mind seems more freeform than classical music. It's not uh, to the grid as much. I don't know how to really phrase it. Yeah, so early jazz was drawing heavily on the forms of European music. Mm -hmm. And so the early jazz, and even before jazz with the um, uh, ragtime music, right. those kinds of pieces, although they're using different, slightly different harmonies, they still sound pretty structured. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and using those same forms that the European classical musicians were using. Uh, and then it started to break away from that and become a little more, like you say, free form uh, as it progressed sure. throughout history. How did all this um, influence you moving forward? Did it change what you thought you might want to do with your life, or did it change your own compositions? Uh, you mean learning about Latin American music? Sure, because, I mean, up until that point... You, you were, I mean, it was American and European, correct? Mm -hmm. And then you learned about something slightly different. I mean, they, they had, turns out, similar origins. Um, but uh, did, it, did it change the way you felt about things? Did it change your, kind of your course in life or anything? I guess it expanded my repertoire a bit, and it's opened up some doors um, to, uh, for instance, I'm doing a presentation in January about um, about the history of, uh, the samba, which was the subject of my dissertation. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, uh, I don't know that it really changed what I'm doing per se, but it, mm -hmm. it has changed some of the presentations that I'm doing and uh, some of the music that I play. I play more uh, bossa nova now than I did prior to my studies. Sure. That's cool. Um, so you were at college in three different points. I, I guess it would be good to sort of, just move chronologically now after your first degree okay. to see where you go because you weren't in college uh, consecutive years, is that correct? You did a few years here, a few years there. So, I mean, there were spurts in between these times at school where, you know, you were gaining life experiences or doing, doing things on your own, and I think everybody would like to hear about that as well. Yeah, so I did my bachelor's degree at the University of Oklahoma in music education, and then directly after that I went to Louisiana State University and earned my master's degree in clarinet performance. Okay. And then I 
uh, entered the United States military music program and played in the army band in Atlanta, Georgia for four years. And uh, at some point in that third year, uh, I auditioned and won the job at the Naval Academy. So I switched services and went to the Naval Academy band oh, in Annapolis, okay. Maryland and played there for 16 years until I retired. But while I was in there, the, the military has great uh, benefits, educational benefits. So I was able to earn my doctorate degree towards the end of my Navy career uh, at Catholic University in Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, <laughs> What uh, brought you down to Louisiana? Um, was there something at LSU that couldn't find anywhere else or something that attracted you there? Well, um, I retired from the Navy in 2014 mm -hmm. and uh, was teaching at Catholic University and playing lots of gigs up there in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and then uh, my wife's daughter has uh, three little kids, and we were coming down here all the time visiting. And uh, I said, why don't we just retire down here and get me close enough to New Orleans to play gigs? Mm -hmm. and, uh, the rest is history, as I say. How are you enjoying it now? That's great. It's a wonderful move. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, it is nice to be within proximity to what you love, you know, but yes. still be able to step back out here for a while. Right. Peace of mind, sure. Right. So, um, okay, so you started, and see, I didn't realize that either. I don't know if that was in your bio or not, that you started off in the Army and then transitioned to the, is that, is that common? Not very common. And I didn't think so. I had to go to boot camp twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Glutton for punishment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they changed the rule about six months after I did that so that you didn't have to anymore, so. Oh. I was one of the unlucky ones. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what did you, what were you able to do there besides get a degree? What, what were some of the things that you were doing while there? Well, the, uh, the military band system is just wonderful as a career. And I like to tell people it's even better now that I get paid for doing nothing. Ooh. But um, it's, uh, it gives you plenty of time to pursue outside interests. My wife and I love to garden. And so we did a lot of that. Mm -hmm. up in Maryland, and uh, it was just plenty of time to travel, which we did. Uh, really enjoyed that, and started a business while I was in the military, and uh, obviously went to school and got my doctorate degree, so uh, it allows you to have the time to to explore other interests if you want, or yeah. just dive completely into the military if you want. Did you know any of that before you joined? What was the attraction for you joining in the first place? Well... When I uh, graduated from my bachelor's degree, the, uh, you know, the course of action, could, I could either go teach or I could perform. And I pretty early on decided I really didn't want to teach at that time, at that point in my life. And uh, so the options were professional symphony orchestra or military. And oh. at the time that I graduated from college, orchestras started to fold they were losing their money and uh it was uh, kind of a an unreliable uh career path mm -hmm. whereas the military was very stable you were set for life if you you know you had great uh medical benefits and retirement benefits obviously yeah and, uh, and got to play music so it was uh it was a, a pragmatic approach but um, sure one that that I'm glad that I did and 
uh, set me up for what I'm doing now. Yeah. I was surprised to find out now that, because um, usually that's the catalyst for movement all over the United States with people in the military, transferring them to, to different areas. But um, I'm glad to hear that it was family that brought you down here. Yeah. You know? um, when you were, let's go, I guess, right after you pick up the clarinet, um, in the household, because you spent time with your grandparents and your parents, um, in the household, what kind of music were you hearing? Um, obviously, it resulted in you playing the clarinet, but initially, I'm sure there were, it was a wide variety. Uh, my grandparents really only had uh, classical music really? record albums at that time. So the, uh, that was really all that I heard uh, there. And I don't really even remember my parents listening to music. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. And then when I, uh, I remember, I think I owned 20 CDs before I bought a CD player. Uh-huh. And so I had them just sitting on my desk and they were all classical or jazz. And I, to this day, I've never listened to pop music at all. It's only been classical or jazz is all I've ever listened to. Does it uh, repulse you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is it, is it, why do you suppose that you, you gravitate towards those genres? Of, do you believe it was directly as a result of your, your grandparents? Perhaps. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess I just, uh, that's where my interest lies. So. Yeah. That's interesting. 20 CDs before you got the player yeah. and the first music you listened to, that's kind of uncommon. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements. But on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to shout out our local musicians. So if you're a solo artist or part of a band living in Louisiana and would like to get your shout out, this is your chance. Text 504-708-4923 or email us at NewOrleansMusicians at gmail.com. It's 100% free, it's easy to do, and it puts your talent in front of a large audience. So once again, that's 504-708-4923 or neworleansmusicians at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And now, back to our show. I guess I should ask you, because I, I wouldn't have any idea. When do you start to see the dynamic? And I, I sort of touched on this earlier, um, asking you, kind of what your grandfather instilled in you as far as the divisions amongst uh, classical and jazz and within jazz and within classical. When, does the, when do the dynamics start to really play a role in your life? Because you started playing really early, actually physically playing instead of just listening to it. So mechanically, you had to be aware of this at some point in time after, after getting the technique down, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? When, uh, at what point in your life did, you, did it start to impact you or did you start to realize that there are there, you, there might be one set of mechanics, but there are different ways and different styles within these genres? Did, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you'd have to be a little bit further on down the road. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think the first inkling of that would have been in high school when I started to play jazz, because like I said, I was never taught jazz by my grandfather mm-hmm. and never don't remember listening to jazz with him. <clears throat> But uh, having that influence with my friends playing in the big band, you know, at the school, uh, I became interested in it and started kind of, really, I'm, in jazz, I'm mostly self-taught. 
So mm-hmm. I started kind of figuring it out, figuring out what they were doing by listening to some recordings and sure. playing along with recordings and that kind of thing. So I think that's probably the first inkling I had of uh, of a different way to play the clarinet. Right. Uh, and then into college, you know, you start hanging out with guys, make bands, form bands, and they're maybe more interested in more modern jazz than anything I'd played before. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of picked some of that up starting to listen to more modern players and then you realize uh, that there's a you know other ways of other styles of playing within a particular genre Mm -hmm. and then when you get more into classical education you you find out that you know music written in uh, 1820 sounds completely different than music written in 1920 right and so even there are different uh, styles of playing within the classical genres yeah did it feel um, did it feel natural or did, how, did, how did it feel to you to play a different style for the first time because you pretty much discovered it and started playing it at the same time mm-hmm. it's a long time ago but uh, to remember but I think uh, I think it's just a uh, a different style of playing and it, it it's always exciting if you do something new you know that's probably what I was feeling at, at the beginning uh, and to this day, when I improvise, um, I really have a sense of kind of working out a puzzle. Mm-hmm. So you have these elements within music, and you know you're looking at a chord change, and you know you have you can play certain notes within that chord change that'll sound good, and then it has to progress to the next chord. And how do you make that happen? That's both musical and intellectually interesting. So sure, I had. Um... I had interviewed a sax player, and he had started out with uh, school bands. He actually grew up in Norway. They're not affiliated with the schools, but they're extracurricular. So uh, a lot of the kids would volunteer, and you know, he, like his friends, would go volunteer. But uh, at any rate, he learned from sheet music. And he felt like when he was able to, years and years later, um, get on stage and improvise, it was just like breaking out of the mold, you know. And um, for him, it happened later on in life, so I'm sure the, the memories were fresh in his mind, but it, it seems like uh, it's a notable event in someone's life because you're taking something that you already have learned but applying it in a completely different manner. Exactly. Yeah. So you, um, you are able to play on different continents with... Through the, through the military, or how did you end up traveling the continents and playing? So, mo- well, all of the military bands have slightly different jobs to do. And I was at the Naval Academy for most of my career, and that band's job is really to support the Naval Academy. So we would do run-out concerts to New York and Virginia, but um, other than that, really didn't travel in the military band. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my traveling would be, uh, you know, personally setting up a concert oh, okay. here or there over, yeah. over the years. Wow. What, uh, out of curiosity, what is the Naval Band doing, like when you say it's in support of, of the Naval Academy or the Navy, did you say? Well, both, really, okay. but, um, but stationed at the Naval Academy. So uh-huh. we, we would perform functions there. So we had a concert band. We played concerts uh, in the summer twice a week and in the winter twice a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had a marching band that would support, you know, parades at the Naval Academy when dignitaries would would arrive or when the uh, 
students there, the midshipmen would sure uh, have their parades. Uh, we had ceremonial bands if there were military retirements or promotion ceremonies. Uh, had you know smaller groups like a woodwind quintet, brass quintet. Uh, there was even a rock band attached to our band that would they actually did tour the country, but um, but the part of the band I was in, we really didn't tour much. So it was basically within proximity to the to the uh, academy or, or I guess an installation in the area? Uh, mostly at the academy, yeah. Okay. And then um, while you're doing that, did you travel or that, that came after you retired? Uh, while I was in the service, we traveled. We, we went to China and okay. uh, went so to you, Europe. And, you traveled with them some to play? No, that was privately. So okay. So when, when a band would be on leave, on vacation, gotcha. then my wife and I would go set up things to do in other countries. How did that go for you? How did, cause that, I mean, you, you, did you learn from somebody else doing that or you just kind of figured it out on your own? Just figured it out. Yeah. You have certain times you can take off and, uh, so would do that. <laughs> yeah. And you were performing. Uh, most of the time, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we would just go for a vacation, but I got you. Yeah, I was, I was kind of touching on how, how it came that you were performing uh, in other countries. Um, was it based off of the idea that you were playing in the military band, but you're saying that was proximity. You were saying uh, you did that while you were here, and then performing in other continents was all you were doing. It was kind of like on your own type of thing. Yeah, I would reach out and set up a concert here or there, yeah. Sure. Uh, the, I, I mentioned earlier that we, my wife and I started a business, so that was the impetus for the China visit. They had heard about us through our business and invited us. So we uh, went to a music festival and played there. And cool. then uh, what else did we do? Uh, well, through the uh, International Clarinet Association, which I'm a member of, um, I played several times in Europe while I was in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, for their convention, that convention moves around every okay. every year to a, usually I think two years in the United States and then one year somewhere overseas. Uh, and then there was a European clarinet festival that I went and played. Actually, I played in uniform on that one, uh, so I represented the, the military when I played. That's cool. That yeah. yeah. And then uh, after I retired, when I was teaching at Southern University in Baton Rouge. Um, the piano professor there, uh, we formed a little classical duo and we toured Brazil before the pandemic uh, to mainly like a recruiting tool for the university. But uh, we played, I think it was nine concerts in seven cities. Oh, wow. It was a nice, nice tour. And then just this summer, I went on a tour in uh, mostly in Spain, Portugal and Spain. Mm-hmm. How's your uh, Latin American studies helped you in, in those fields? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't learn any Nothing Spanish <laughs> or Portuguese. <laughs> so the, the language doesn't, didn't do anything for me. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you're educated like that, I think that all is kind of in your body and it, it, I think it affects, sure. it affects what's happening without maybe you really knowing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It's got to come through somehow. Yeah. There's a... They walk away with a tinge of familiarity about you, right. you know, <laughs> that's funny. So now, um, and you contacted me recently about this, uh, you're planning your own symphony. 
Well, um, so I have a really wonderful friend. Uh, we lived in the Washington, D.C. area together. Uh, and he's a composer, really a classically trained composer. And I've premiered, I believe, three works that he's written specifically for me, as well as numerous uh, works that he's written for a band we used to be in that played new music to old 1920s era silent films. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really just click both you know, in a friendship as well as uh, musically, we, we really uh, get each other. And so we both had kind of this simultaneous idea about him composing a concerto or a suite, maybe not a, a typical concerto, but uh, for jazz clarinet and symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea is that he'll, he'll write multiple movements um, influenced by jazz. And then after he writes that, We'll try to shop it around to symphony orchestras across the U.S., maybe even internationally, to perform. And um, I think the idea at this point, we're really in the beginning stages of it, but at this point, uh, the idea is to have the first movement be New Orleans-based, where, of course, jazz was invented. Uh, And then the second movement, Chicago-based, because... I was going to say, they might, they might beg to differ on that first comment. <laughs> no, jazz is absolutely invented here in New Orleans. I uh, know, yeah. but there's a back and forth well, between the two, but speak the truth, sir. Yeah, well, so when the... Uh, pretty soon after jazz was invented here, the Navy, ironically, uh, shut down Storyville because their sailors were getting in trouble going into the red light district in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the musicians headed up to Chicago. Uh, you know, great example of that being uh, King Oliver, who also enticed probably the greatest jazz musician in history, Louis Armstrong, to join his band. Uh, And then shortly after that, a lot of it went to New York. That became the hub of jazz. And then it started to spread across the country with mostly New Orleans musicians heading to Chicago and then New York. And then they started to educate those people there. And so you start to get people that are playing jazz that aren't, from New Orleans, they start to go to places like Los Angeles and Kansas City, and with even influences in Texas and Oklahoma. Even. Sure, that's so fascinating. I wonder if migrations like that cause the, their origin to be um, more significant. Like maybe in a time before all of these New Orleans musicians were headed out to Chicago, maybe. Not too many Chicago musicians played New Orleans. I mean, how, how was, how was the, the flow between... Was, was New Orleans on the map, so to speak, as a, as, a, as a stopping point for musicians before that happened? Do you know? Well, certainly. New Orleans was a, a major city uh, early on in the history of this country. And, okay. uh, you know, I can think of a, a pianist from Latin America named uh, Louis Moreau Gottschalk, mm-hmm. who... Uh, toured New Orleans many times, playing okay. classical music. He, he wrote classical music, but with that kind of Latin American rhythm in his classical music, like we talked about earlier. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, so certainly New Orleans was one of the big cities in the United States for musicians to tour to. Um, and I don't know about the interaction between Chicago and uh, New Orleans per se, but um, certainly musicians were... New Orleans was definitely on the stop for musicians. Sure. Early on. How did how did how did you um, 
How did you feel about that moving here? I mean, you moved here because of family. It wasn't a, a, a musical focus, but did you feel like you were stepping into a playground, so to speak? Well, it was part of the part of the uh, decision. I think was to you know to be in a, a city where music is so important. Sure. To, so I could continue to work. Um, did you, um, I mean, how much did you know about it before you came here? Did you find yourself researching the roots or basically what, what am I getting myself into by moving down here? Uh, well, before we decided to move here, I actually had an agent up in the Washington, D.C. area. And when we had come to visit family uh, on two occasions, he had booked me down on Frenchman Street okay. in New Orleans. So uh, I, I knew that what was going on down here. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, knew that it was a city, pro- probably the the best city in the United States to work as a musician, as far as uh, the number of opportunities that there are. Sure. Just on that two block section of Frenchman Street, there are eleven clubs. Right. That present music every day. So. I really love Frenchman Street. Yeah. Um, has being down here, I guess, has it had anything to do with you um, and the friend writing the concerto? Uh, has it influenced it any, or is it just something that you always had in the back of your mind? Uh, I think it was probably influenced here because I just came to the idea not too long ago uh-huh. and uh, talked to him about it, and he said, it's funny you bring that up because I had a, a similar idea, and uh, so we've been in communication trying to figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, I was gonna. you were talking about it earlier. Is it something that the both of you have had to kind of educate yourself on the process of during it? Well, uh, like I said, shopping it and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. I, this is completely out of my wheelhouse. So um, I'm reaching out to friends like you about, you know, what what do I do next? Um, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, the composing part is what he does for a living. So he's sure. he's got that figured out. Mm-hmm. And now it's up to me to try to figure out how to make the nuts and bolts work to, to be able to actually present it somewhere. Yeah, that's a big undertaking. I have faith in you, though, man. You plan your <laughs> own uh, overseas tour. I think you can do this, you know. <laughs> Um, you said that you were going to try to uh, shop overseas as well with this. I think it's uh, I think it's an idea that's that's viable. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, honestly, Europeans seem to like jazz more than Americans do really? uh, nowadays. So, uh, so it might be even easier to to perform over there than here. Hmm. We shall see. Yeah. Um, you are in the process of organizing this in such a manner to where people can donate to help this thing come to fruition. Is there enough information on that out there uh, right now that you can tell these people? Yeah, I'm, I'm exploring that right now, and I think I've found a nonprofit that I can hook up with so mm-hmm. that uh, donations can flow through them, and uh, you know anyone who donates can use it as a tax write-off. Sure. Uh, but we're also exploring other ways to raise funds, like maybe a GoFundMe campaign or... <clears throat> um, I met with a, another man a couple of weeks ago uh, who had some connections with uh, with donors, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. Sure. Um, I guess uh, generalizing, what are some of the costs incurred in, in, a, in a project like this? Well, first off, you have to pay the composer to write, mm-hmm. which is a significant fee. That it's going to take him about three months, he thinks, to complete, wow. to complete this of, of solid work, just working on that project alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have to, I have to try to find uh, an agent that uh, works closely with symphony orchestras to 
to convince the orchestras to perform this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my mind, I also have an educational uh, connection to it. Most symphonies will play, uh, will have a, a lecture, usually by the conductor, before the concert. And my idea is to offer to talk about the history of jazz to that to their audience before we play the concerto. This is something the conductor normally does? Conductor normally does that, Okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes a composer will if they're premiering a work of the composers. I uh, got you. Yeah, so the, you know, the people coming to the concert can come an hour early and hear a little presentation on what they're about to hear, basically. That's nice. Yeah, and it's very effective. Um, and then also, educationally speaking, um, if we're moving around playing in different cities, uh, my idea would also be to hook up with schools in the area during mm-hmm. the day and uh, give them basically a, a history of jazz also at the same time. It's going to be a, a free uh, one-stop shop right, right here. You right. Got it. That's, <laughs> that's good, man. That's a great, yeah. great talking points, great selling points. Um, I wish you all the luck in the world. When this comes out, if there's anything that we need to add, especially to the written portion, we can always go in and, and uh, put that in there to make sure. Okay. Um, that they know where to donate okay. when that comes to fruition. Yeah. I think that's about it. Man. All right. If anybody wants to, if they're interested in this and they want to contact me, I'm open to being Yeah, contacted. that's a good idea. Yeah. We'll give them a point of contact. Okay. I've got my, my website, Red Wine Jazz. You can find all my contact information there. Redwinejazz.com. Okay. Redwinejazz.com. Yeah. I've been there. Actually, that was the first thing I looked at um, when we first started talking. I, I really liked it. Yeah. It was, yeah, I was able to navigate to exactly what I wanted to hear. He's got uh, tracks on there, y'all. He's got um, a lot of different packages for sale and uh, the bio, pictures. It's, uh, it's really well put together. And I'm uh, one of those rare people that actually updates my calendar regularly so you can oh. see when I'm playing and where I'm playing. Okay, so it's like they're talking to the real you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, man. Thank I appreciate you. this. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Hey, this is Levi from Miss Flair, Southern Brutality in 1016. Look, man, we all start off as jam bands. We get together, we push our souls all throughout the speakers, man. Simple as that. The connections that we form with our crowds and followers are nothing like any other. And we'd love to have you back. Click that on button, show your support, or you can check us out at Buy Me a Coffee. Black, 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 that's buy me a coffee backslash New Orleans Music. I said buy me a coffee backslash New Orleans Music. I have spoken. Yeah, 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 yeah.